Father, God, you are, you're so good. And the fact that you were willing to send your son to be born into this world is something we talk about all the time. We will never really understand. Father, we, we look at our own lives, we look at who we are, and we know who, who we are and how we're motivated, Father. We know that we're nothing special. That God, there's no reason why you should look at us and be willing to allow your sin to pay the price for our wrongdoings. God, we, we earned them. We, we deserved them. We, we did it. And yet, God, you were willing to do away with all our brokenness, all of our weakness, all of our faults through the blood of your Son to deliver us, God, from the life of eternal punishment, but not just to free us from that punishment, but God also to deliver us home safe to heaven where we can spend eternity with you and in a world where you will make all things right and and all the pain and the suffering and the struggles of this life that bring tears to our eyes will will fade from view and be a distant memory. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the light that you send in the world through Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray that we might accurately reflect that light to a lost and broken world around us. And we just pray all this in your son's name. Amen. I love the old story. You guys have heard it before, but it's just a fun one. There's a church that was doing their annual, their annual Christmas program. You know how that is. And, and uh, we haven't done one in a few years. We're going to have to do one here in a, in a few years. But, but, uh, but, but it's, it's all, you have all the little kids and all their different parts. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's labor intensive. If you've ever done one, it, there's a lot that goes into making that happen. And, and so they had rehearsed all kinds of things and they had all kinds of special effects. And, and one of them, one of them was that, that at the very end of this of this program, what they were going to do is they were going to have all the lights in the auditorium shut off, and, and they were going to have one light turned on that was going to be in the manger, and it was going to be this just beautiful kind of representation of the light of the world being switched on, coming into the world, and it was going to be a great end to the service. And so, so the, the the play goes off pretty much without exception. I mean, all the the different kids had their parts, and and, and there was the little guy in the back. His only job in this play was to turn off the lights and to turn on the light. Boy, he... He was probably a lot like me, you know. Um, he was back there, and he was focused on the mission. And so they sing the final little song, you know, away in the manger, no crib for a bed. And then at that moment, they were, they were to shut off the lights from the church, and he did it absolutely with precision. Every single light in the church building was off. It was complete and utter darkness for about a minute. And finally, one of the shepherds said, hey, you turned off Jesus. And he remembered that he hadn't turned the light on in the manger. You know, sometimes, guys, I think this time of year, we, <laughs> we turn off Jesus. 
You know, we, we, we get so involved in everything that's going on with the holiday. We're so focused on this, the celebration. And, and we were joking, coming in, there's, there's always events and parties and fellowship opportunities and neat things that you love to be a part of. And we can be so focused on, on doing one thing that we inadvertently forget that everything is supposed to be about Jesus. It's supposed to be about who He is and what He does. And it's not just something that we do one particular time of the year, but as Christians, it's supposed to be something that's just every day a part of our life. A couple weeks ago, we just started kind of looking through some of the prophecy of Jesus in, in, in Isaiah the ninth chapter. And, and there are generations before Jesus would, would ever come into this world. Generations before anyone would imagine uh, the, the world that Jesus even lived in. Isaiah is writing things about Jesus, both in Isaiah the ninth chapter. Isaiah the 54th chapter talks about his death. Isaiah 60 again talks about Jesus' birth into this world. And in the next couple weeks, um, myself and then next week, Mr. Bruce is going to be kind of drawing this, this, this series, if you will, to a close, talking about the peace that we find in Jesus. Both of those texts are coming from Isaiah 9. If you have your Bible this morning, you can grab that if you would like to. We're just going to have really two places in the scripture that we go to, both here in Isaiah 9 and then in Luke in a moment. But Isaiah the ninth chapter, and we, we started with this last week in verse number two. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. <laughs> that was the whole idea of the Christmas skit. You know, all the lights in the church go off. The manger light goes on. In a world full of darkness, Jesus reflects. And, and Isaiah said, that's going to happen. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. How many of you have ever been lost in the woods, but if you've ever been out there in the woods, or maybe you've been hunting and you intentionally go in into the woods while it's still dark at night, it's kind of an interesting moment. You, you climb up in your tree stand and, and, and you get yourself situated. You switch off your flashlight. And if you're really deep into the woods, like you probably want to be deer hunting, um, all of a sudden the darkness just kind of envelops you. It closes around you. It's almost a darkness that you can feel. And at least for me, and maybe not for you, but for me there's this natural longing to see the sun come up. I know it's going to happen in just a, a few moments, but, but constantly my eyes are scanning the horizon, looking for that faintest gleam of pink or orange or slight gray if it's a cloudy day. And, and Isaiah uses that, that metaphor that's timeless to, to describe what's going to happen as Jesus comes into the world. Those living in a land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. We talked about joy last week. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. It's like when Jesus comes into the world, it's a time of celebration. And, and it's not just that moment when Jesus came, but it's every moment when someone recognizes that Jesus is Lord. Every moment that someone is submits and is, is baptized in the Christ and filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible says that there's a celebration in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And I love that text because it sounds like to me that God is the one doing the celebrating right there. And, and, and he says there's going to be joy, there's going to be celebration with Jesus coming. And then he says in verse 4, and this is the part I want us to notice this morning, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the oak that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You know, it's 
by the time that Jesus came, they really looked at this text and they recognized, the Jewish world recognized that this was definitely a text about the Messiah. But they were somewhat confused about what it meant. They were under Roman persecution at that time and they, they understood the heaviness of a, of a foreign army occupying their land and they were certain that what this text meant here in, in Isaiah the ninth chapter was that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come into this world and was going to break the back or the strong arm of the Roman Empire. But, but what Isaiah knew and, and what God knew is that ultimately for mankind... There's something that's more oppressive than the the government that's ruling. There's something more oppressive than a police state. That is the consequence of of our own sin. Adam and Eve learned this rather quickly when they they were in the garden. And it just looked like in that moment that there would be a a, a no-consequence decision. There's fruit, but God said not to touch it, or not to eat it, rather. And so the serpent kind of tempts. What's the big deal about a little fruit? After all, it's just something that's here. Surely it's good. God made it. And so they, they took that, and then they realized the burden and the heaviness of sin. And if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know that the ultimate heaviness of that sin was visited on them very quickly. When one son rose up against another son and killed his own brother in their household, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus came into this world to do more for us than just pay for our sin. Jesus came into this world to deliver us from the oppression of our own decisions. And I know that some of us this morning know immediately what what, what the Bible is talking about when we read this text, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, because we've felt the sting of our sin over and over and over again. And guys, let's never forget, even if, even if that forgiveness, if that decision for Christ happened for us decades ago, we should never forget the beauty of the deliverance that Jesus has brought us. In order to lay this out this morning, I just want want you to grab your Bibles, if you would, or if you haven't already. Flip over with me to Luke. Luke, the the first chapter. And and there's a lot of interesting things that happen here in the first part of the book of Luke. One of the things that happens is is that John the Baptist, his birth is foretold. And John the Baptist is a huge part of this story. There's so much of the birth, birth of Christ that is just unlikely. But there's a beautiful backstory in the birth and the coming of Jesus. And that's the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus, and John the Baptist's family and Jesus' family. And John the Baptist's dad was Zachariah, and we're not going to take time this morning to lay everything out that happens, but because of Zachariah's lack of belief, God says, Zachariah, here's the deal. <laughs> you don't believe me, you're not going to talk until your son is born, all right? And I don't know how that would be. I'm a talker, right? I, I, I may be gone one day in my life without talking because I lost my voice completely, right? Um, Zechariah has to, has to begin to live life as a mute. And it's difficult. I know of a gentleman who cannot talk. And it's difficult because people come up and they start talking to you, right? And what do people expect for you to do in return? 
talk back. And if you don't, they think you're rude, you know. And so, so he carries with him in his pocket, he carries a little, little notebook. And, and on the front of it, he writes in, 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 ball, in a Sharpie marker, I can't talk. All right. So as so soon as he pulls it out, he holds it up like this. I can't talk. And then he flips over it, finds an empty page, and he writes out what he wants to tell this person. It Maybe it's his order at McDonald's. But he, he lets them know right up front. The funny thing is, is that's exactly what Zachariah has to do. And so he has to have a notepad. And, and John the Baptist is born. And they're trying to figure out what to name him, just for some background right here. In verse number 63, this is one of the longest chapters or chapters in the Bible, incidentally. Zachar, or Luke, the first chapter, verse 63. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And everyone was surprised. Wait a second, it's not Zachariah Jr.? I mean, you waited your whole life to have a kid, and he finally comes, and you're not going to name him Jr.? He said, no, his name is John. And that was because God said that's what his name was to be. And so that's why one was surprised. And immediately Zechariah could talk again, and he began praising God. All the neighbors became alarmed, and in all the mountains uh, of Judea, people com- com- continued talking about all these things. The people who heard them wondered, saying, What will this child be? Because the Lord was with him. So, what would you say if you had spent nine months or so? without being able to speak. What would be the, who would be the first person that you would call? What would the first words be that you might say? Well, obviously, probably most of us would be like Zachariah. We'd be like, thank you, Lord, right? I can talk. I'm finally able to do this again. But after that initial praise, Zachariah does something different. We don't know if it was immediately after this, but there is in Luke a recorded prophecy of Zechariah, a praise of God in a sense, but it tells us so much about Jesus that this morning we're going to take a look and see what it is that Zechariah is talking about. Because as Zechariah talks, I believe he's being led by the Spirit here to communicate to us a lot of what it is that Jesus will become, a lot of what it is that Jesus has come for. So let's look here in verse number, let's just start reading together. Verses 67, it says, And Zechariah, John's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. And he said this, Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to help his people and has given them freedom. I want you to know there's four things this morning quickly we're just going to talk about through this text that you should get. Because deliverance has come into this world. And guys, I don't want us to ever forget how amazing this is. Number one, we got to recognize and always remember, this is a divine plan. The Bible tells us from the the foundations of the earth, God had the plan of forgiveness for us already laid out. In other words, simply simply put, before we were created, God recognized we were going to blow it. And before we ever blew it, God had already understood his responsibility or his opportunity to save us from ourselves. So before we were ever born, before we were ever thought of, before Adam and Eve were formed from a rib and from the dust of the ground, God already recognized that it would be upon him to go and to save his creation. This moment that we, we celebrate when Jesus is born is not just a random moment, just some uh, pop-up occurrence. This is a culmination of the entirety of human history history up until this point. And and Zechariah says, let's praise God because he's come to help us and given us freedom. 
Now you look around that day and it didn't look like they were free in the sense that we often think of freedom. When we think of freedom, we, we, we like to think of, of nobody telling us what to do, of being able to, to go our own way, do our own thing, be our own person, that kind of American, that American dream of freedom. But what John was talking about here is a freedom that goes even deeper. Jesus said, I've come that they might know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I love that text. It's one of my favorites. As I grow older, it just becomes more and more dear to me because I see it happen over and over again in the lives of people. We convince ourselves of lies. We listen to lies that the culture tells us. If you want to be happy, pursue this particular thing. If you need to deal with pain, drink this particular substance. Take these particular pills. If you want to have a fulfilled life, then you need to have happiness and joy and just go and get it wherever you can. And it's a lie of Satan and it just eventually kind of visits on us more hurt and more imprisonment and more struggle and more misery. And Jesus said, no, I've come to give something very different. I want you to have peace. I want you to be free. And being free, recognize, help, is, is based on knowing the truth of what God has come to give us. Notice it says that God visited us, that God has noticed us, that God has come to help us. Guys, this is an honor that we in no way deserve. I don't know how many of you have ever been bailed out by somebody before. <laughs> somebody showed up to, to help you out a few years ago um, when I was a, when I was a, a young guy. Um, we decided to go and, and do some off-roading. And I, I drove a two-wheel drive pickup truck. And so um, if you drive, how many of you ever drove a two-wheel drive pickup truck in your life here? And raise your hand if you've driven it. Some of you guys have. Um, you, you ought, you're pretty quick to notice the limitations of a two-wheel drive. How many of you who drove two-wheel drive pickups got stuck in your two-wheel drive pickups? All right, see, you look around, the same group of people that had their hands up got stuck. Um, this is why I drive a four-wheel drive truck now. This is just scarring from the past um, because uh, I, I never use a four-wheel drive. I drive to church every day. But if I should happen to get stuck, I can switch into four-wheel drive. I got stuck all the time, so I had parked on top of a hill. But the rest of the guys, they all decided that it would be a great idea to go down. We were going to have this just like youth group night kind of thing down by the lake. And so down they drive down this hill at this, at this place where we like to go out and hang out in the country. And it was a great night. The only problem was is that, that it was a little icy and a little snowy beforehand. And then it started to kind of rain while we were there. If you've ever been up north and you've, you've seen what happens when water gets on ice on a road, um, it gets pretty, 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 pretty slick. And so here we are down at the bottom, about four vehicles down at the bottom of this hill. Um, and uh, it is a pretty good sized hill and it's covered with ice, now wet ice, which is really, really slick. And no one can get out of there. And anybody would have looked at that and, and said, you know what? What kind of stupid kids are going to drive vehicles down, uh, down to the bottom of this, of this hill, way out in the middle of nowhere? This is before cell phones, guys. Um, there's no way to call anybody or get in a hold of anybody. Who's going to do some silly thing like this? And furthermore, they deserve to spend the night out there to learn their lesson. And that would have been very reasonable. I can see my dad maybe doing that. <laughs> but through, through a chain of events, I don't have time to tell you, somebody finally ended up calling Michelle's dad. And Michelle's dad owned a towing company. <laughs> 
And, and Michelle's dad comes out with his tow truck and uh, parks at the top of the hill and winches every single one of those vehicles up the hill. And as I recall, I think he charged us one towing fee, which is crazy because he could have made a ton of money that night, all right? Because <laughs> everyone was stuck except me. I was parked at the top of the hill because I drove a two-wheel drive pickup. Um, but everyone else was stuck. And he gave us grief and picked at us about it, which we well deserved. But the truth is, the truth is we needed to be bailed out. And sometimes we forget that God didn't owe us. That we aren't such awesome people that, he, that we deserved for God to come up with this elaborate plan to save us from ourselves. No, it was a plan purely based on God's grace, His goodness, and His mercy. <laughs> Alfred Edelstein found 400 different messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. You can read through those 400 different times. The Bible is pointing towards Jesus. But the truth is that the entirety of human history is doing the same. And in verses 72 and 73, Zechariah continues. And he, said, he says this. He said he would give mercy to our fathers and that he would remember his holy promise. God promised Abraham, our father, that he would save us from the power of our enemies so that we could serve him without fear, being holy and good before God as long as we should live. Generations before this moment, when God is sitting down, talking with Abraham and creating this first covenant moment that we read about in Scripture, God is recognizing that there will be a night where a little baby will enter into the world, where his son will take on flesh, and will be born just like one of us, will grow just like each of us did, and inherit a broken world with the responsibility on his shoulders to not only live a sinless life, but ultimately to pay the price for every person who's ever lived, the consequence of their sin. Jesus remembered that prophecy in John the 8th chapter, verse 56, when he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When he saw it, he was glad. Jesus said, you know what? Abraham was, was, was looking forward to the lens of faith with great excitement at the day that God would come and do what he had said he would do. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, Malachi, the third chapter, again in Malachi, the fourth chapter, God predicted that he would send his messenger. And he talked about in the spirit or the power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's exactly what John the Baptist does. You, 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 you can't find a cooler story than the one that God created. And guys, here's something I think is just awesome that you've got to notice about this divine plan. There's so much to say, so little time to say it. But let me catch this for you real quick. God chose a regular person. In fact, a rather odd person, John the Baptist, to be the one to prepare the world for the coming of his son. God loves to use us. God loves for us to be a part of the story. As you look at the birth of Jesus, there's all kinds of characters who are a part of that story. We're going to talk about that tonight a little bit. Just regular people that God said, you are going to be a part of my story, and you are going to be a part of my story. The divine plan that God delivered us, guys, is not a plan for just the exclusive or just a few chosen people, but it's a plan that reaches everybody, and it's a plan that uses the most ordinary and unlikely people. In fact, the truth is that our champion is an unlikely champion. 
God's divine plan included a very unlikely champion. I don't think there's anyone in the world that would look at the problem on the table that God was dealing with right here. We've got a problem where I've created mankind. Mankind are free moral agents. They get to make their own mind up, make their own choices. I gave them the choice in the garden, and they chose to to rebel. They chose to sin. And so now I've got to figure out, how am I going to save these people from themselves? I don't think anybody in the world would have ever said, well, what you need is a baby. Because when we look at babies, we, we don't see capabilities. We don't see, we don't see strength. We don't see authority. No, we, we, we see dependence. We see weakness. We see potential. But that potential is a long way off. And yet God chose a baby, Jesus, to be the beginning of the answer. There's so much I could say about this. I'm going to skip a bunch of this stuff because we don't have time. As you read through that whole prophecy of, 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 of Zacharias' right there, Zacharias just loads it up with so much great stuff. But, but I, I want to notice just a couple things quickly because we have four of these to go through. Malachi, the fourth chapter, I told you that in Malachi, Malachi had four, looked forward and seen this moment where God would bring something special to the world. And in verse number 78, Zacharias says this. He said, And with loving mercy of our God, a new day from heaven will dawn upon us. This idea that that something special was going to happen, that light was going to enter the world, where there was darkness and blindness, all of a sudden there was going to be a brand new perspective. Malachi builds on that in Malachi 4 and verse 2, when he said the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. We have Christmas carols that we sing that use that text because it's obviously talking about Jesus. Or John, the eighth chapter, in verse number 12, where Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not grow weak or or shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus said, I am. I am that light that the Old Testament's been talking about, that Isaiah referenced, that Malachi noticed, that Zechariah prophesied, I am the light of the world. And, And this is what I love. He says, that you should not walk in darkness, but you would have eternal life. Any of us who choose to say, Jesus, you're my guide, you have the opportunity, the distinct opportunity of being able to walk with knowledge of where you're going. You're not guessing anymore. You're not bungling around through things. No, you have an opportunity to see clearly what it is and where you are headed. The third thing that I want us to notice in Zechariah's prophecy here is in verse number 77. He said, you will make his people know that they will be saved by having their sins forgiven. We, we know that Zechariah was talking about something spiritual, but this verse just kind of brings that out and reminds us that our rescue is an undeserved rescue. We talked about that a moment ago, but I just want to come back to that because it's so important that we don't forget this. Zechariah says, You will make his people know that they will be saved, not because of just some empty faith, but no, by having their sins forgiven. 
John, the first chapter in verse 29, as Jesus is approaching John the Baptist, who is baptizing, and Jesus in this text is about to, about to start his earthly ministry, John the Baptist <laughs> announces Jesus in the most peculiar way. Maybe it's because John the Baptist recognized his dad's prophecy and knew exactly about whom it was speaking when he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his announcement. Hey, guys, look. That's my cousin Jesus. No, that's not what he said. He said, hey, guys, look. The Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Isaiah, the ninth chapter in verse 2 and Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, describe once again those who sit in darkness, who live in the shadow of death, and who will be freed from that by the coming of Jesus Christ. The pictures of travelers who have lost their way in the wilderness and night falls. They grope for the path, but it eludes them. Finally, in despair, there's nothing they can do but sit down in that darkness where death from wild beasts lurks in the shadows. They can't sleep much because they're too cold and too afraid, and their imaginations run wild of all the things that could happen, might happen, and are happening. Every time a wolf howls in the darkness, they shiver in fear. They huddle in that darkness, hoping for the morning light. And finally, they see that faint glow in the eastern sky. Slowly but surely, the darkness yields to the bright morning sun. And in its light, they find a path that leads to peace and safety. That little story is exactly what it is that God has done for every one of us through Jesus It's a graphic picture of each of us who at one point in our life sat in the darkness and the shadow of death that comes from sin. Before church this morning, I was talking with a a good friend and we we were just talking about the the state that that a lot of people are in in our culture today, guys. And and they were talking about the depression and the anxiety and and, and the frustration that a lot of young kids feel, students in school. And and, and people are wondering, why why is that that... (laughs) The, the, the kids are so anxious and so upset and, and suffering so often from depression. And certainly there's sometimes a, a, a physical problem with that. But I, I think a lot of it is that, that this is one of the first generations to really grow up. And by and large, many of them don't know about a living and active God. When I was a kid, guys, we, we grew up in the middle of Iowa. I know I grew up in Mayberry, and we're in Crowley, Louisiana. It's pretty close, all right? We didn't always live like we believed in God. We didn't always make the right choices. We didn't use the right language. But we knew that, that out there, God existed, and that God was taking care of things. And behind the scenes, God was working this world together. And we knew that, that God loved us, and God sent His Son to die for us. And guys, there's a lot of people in this world today that don't know that truth. And it's our responsibility to reflect the light of Christ and to show them that. <laughs> the word that, one of the words that's used here in verse number 78 is with the loving mercy, or in the old King James, it would say the tender mercy. And in the Hebrews, or the, the Hebrew language, this word right here literally means the bows. <laughs> because in, in Hebrew, the, the seed of the emotion, where you feel things was in your bowels. Um, we would say with a heart of mercy, God is literally invested in this with his very heart and with his very being. Now just stop for a moment and think with me about this. Are we worth that? Are we worth God staying up at night? Jesus tells a parable about a father who 
has a son that says, I'm going to do my own thing and go my own way, Daddy. So give me what's mine. Give me my freedom, and I'm out of here. And we recognize that as the story of the prodigal son. Every one of us fit in this story in some way or other. Every one of us have said to God, God, I want to go, and I want to take what's mine. And we've gone out into the world, and we've squandered that opportunity, just like that prodigal son did. But I want you to notice the, the posture of the dad. As Jesus tells this story, he, he, he says that, that while he was a long way off, the father saw him. There's only one way a dad sees a son who's a long way off, way down the road still. It's not because he's coming, knocked at the front door and said, hey, dad, please let me in. That's not the reason. It's because that father was looking for him. That father was watching for him. And Jesus, I think, intentionally used that metaphor to help us understand the kind of concern, the depth of the emotion that God has for every one of us. Guys, we're not just tolerated by God. God doesn't just look at us and say, I've got this responsibility. I've made these people, so I've got to figure out how to get them out of the mess they made. That's not how God loves us. God loves us with a love that is deep, a love that's full of emotion, a love that comes from his heart. It's not just some empty idea for him. No, it's a decision that he's happy to make because he's looking for us with his tender mercy. But guys, we haven't been just delivered to celebrate. Our deliverance isn't just so we can squander it on whatever we want to. As we close this morning, we have been delivered to serve. He says this in verses 74 and 75 of the text. He says that he would save us from the power of our enemies so that we could serve him without fear, being holy and good before God as long as we live. Zechariah recognized that, that when you get this kind of a gift, it, it, it should change you. If you really understand what it is that God has given you, it will transform you forever. That we might serve Him without fear. Guys, we don't have to fear God in the sense of being afraid of God because Jesus has taken away that dividing barrier. That's why the Bible says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, we don't get arrogant with God, and we don't lose our respect of God, and it's a different kind of fear. What he's talking about here is the fear that keeps us away, the fear that causes us to cower in the corner, the fear that doesn't allow us to be open and transparent with God and share our struggles and share our, our, our heart's desires and our needs. He said we, there's no need for that. We, we, we've been forgiven of that sin. And then I love how he finishes that because he says to serve him without fear... And this is what we're going to do, being holy and good before God as long as we should live. That's our responsibility, to be holy, set apart, and good, do the right thing. <laughs> it's really so simple, and yet sometimes it's so hard for us to remember. Years ago, there was an organization called the Salvation Army. It still exists today, but in its beginning inception, the Salvation Army was an organization that went to the places in the world where no one else would go and worked with people that no one else would work with to not only care for their physical needs, but also to provide medical care and food and clothing, basic needs to keep them alive. And in that organization, there was, there was a particular guy by the name of Captain Shaw, and he went to India as a medical missionary. 
And when he arrived in, in India, he, he was assigned to a particular outpost. And in this outpost it was an outpost full of lepers. And at that point in time, leprosy had not yet been cured on the extent that we have it cured today. And so they mostly just kind of dealt with the, with the symptoms of leprosy. If, if you caught it early enough, they could fix it. But uh, most of these people were beyond hope. And, and, and as he was reviewing the people that were a part of this, of this camp, of people that had a disease that not only had a social scourge, but was a, with a death sentence in many ways. He, he happened to cross three men who were chained hand and foot. If you know anything about leprosy, you know that it causes the skin to, to really be fragile and to break down. And where each of these men were shackled with iron shackles around their wrists and around their legs, the, 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 the skin had been rubbed away by the, by the sharp metal. And not being able to heal as it would appropriately on a healthy human, it was just nothing but raw, oozing wounds on their hands and their feet. And Captain Shaw looked at this and he said, we've got to turn these guys loose. And those other people who were running the camp said, we can't do that. You don't understand who these guys are. They are convicted criminals. These are bad guys. They've done bad things. (laughs) Captain Shaw said, that's okay. You cannot treat them like that. The shackles were unbolted. The men were turned loose. The wounds began to heal. It was some weeks later that Captain Shaw first had misgivings about turning these guys loose because he was called to leave that village to go to another village to tend to a situation and he would leave behind his wife and family alone in their home so the doctor left his wife said I'm not afraid we'll be fine you know she was a good wife she was tough and he left on the journey but the next morning when Mrs. Shaw went to open her door she found three criminals sleeping there. (laughs) When she asked them what they were doing, this is what they said. We know the doctor go. We stay here all night so no harm come to you. See, when you've been delivered, there's something that just happens within us. For we're transformed from the inside out There was no reason to fear these men. Their allegiance had been purchased undisputably that day that Captain Shaw said, take off those shackles from their hands and feet. Guys, I don't want you to forget that this holiday season, even though we get into gifts and music and and we have family time together, that that little baby born in that manger was God's way of taking the shackles off of our hands and our feet taking away the consequences of our own brokenness and our own sin and giving us an opportunity to approach Him without fear but with freedom, to walk in the light and to avoid the darkness, to be able to live life as holy and good people for His glory. See, guys, that's really the message that Jesus' birth should always remind us. We know that we serve a God that is unpredictable and His divine plans are His divine plans. We know that we serve a God who uses just regular, ordinary people to be a part of that story. Unlikely champion, a little baby in a manger. Yeah, but that's God. That's how He works. A man who eats locusts and honey to be a great revival leader. Not predictable, but that's who John the Baptist was because that's how God works. Do we deserve what He gives us, the gift that He provides? Heavens, no. We'll never live up to be able to deserve that. But He's delivered us. 
And he says, this is all I want from you. Just go serve me. Live your life holy and good. And when you do those things, guys, here's the beauty of it. (laughs) The whole world sees Christ through you. And his life and his light is not just a little light that shines up out of a manger scene somewhere at a little church play. But his light is multiplied by every single person with whom it comes in contact. Do we live in a dark world today? Yeah. <laughs> but can we shed some light in the dark world? You betcha. What do you say we do that? Right now. In the midst of all the confusion and hustle and bustle. This holiday season. Let's be light. We're going to stand together again. And, and sing a song together. If you have a need this morning, if you recognize my hands and feet are still in shackles, Jason. God has a gift that he wants to give you of his son and of the Holy Spirit. Your sins can be washed away in the waters of baptism. You too can walk in newness of life. Make that decision today. Father, you are the very best father that anyone could ask for. God, I know some of us had some pretty good earthly dads that were there for us and demonstrated your love and your mercy to us that are heroes and our champions. But Father, no earthly dad can even compare to your greatness as our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, that you've loved us enough that your gift for us was not just something that would be appreciated today and forgotten tomorrow, but you gave us a gift that literally will last for eternity. An opportunity to be forgiven from the choices that we've made, our sins that we laid upon our own life, the bondage that we created for ourselves. Just to have an opportunity to walk in a brand new life. We thank you, Father, that Jesus came into this world to provide that freedom, to give us that deliverance. And Father, we thank you that when we have that as a part of our life, that we can look forward to a peace that that God just goes beyond explanation or comprehension. Father, I just pray you would be with Bruce as he closes out this session together next week, Lord, as he just looks at what the birth of Christ means as it brings us peace. God, help us to be the most peaceful, at-peace people in all the world. God, there's nothing for us to fear. You've conquered death. You've taken away the scourge of our skin, of our sin. Father, we just look forward to an eternity with you. Help us, God, not to get so busy and so hustled and so hurried that we just forget how good you've been to us. Just help us to be a bright light this week, Lord, as we walk in a dark world. Help us to reflect the glory of Jesus as best we can and forgive us for those moments that we slip. We ask all these things in your son's name.